Welcome back to Joker Dawn with Alex at Bad Dan Takes. Let's flip this baby over and introduce ourselves to that big blonde. She loves to limbo, that much is clear. She's got the right dynamic for the new frontier. Uh, so this Banger. is... Banger. <laughs> this song's insane. Banger. Banger. This song is about... What's it about? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's about seeing a sweetie baby at uh, your dad's backyard barbecue where he's showing off his new bomb shelter and you're imagining the future when you go into the bomb shelter with this sweetie baby <laughs> and you need to repopulate the earth after yeah. the Reds drop the bomb. <laughs> that is exactly what it's about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that is extreme. That is totally it. You nailed it. Wow. Uh, it's about being just having the coolest imagination as a 15 year old that you can possibly conjure uh, as if we all haven't had that thought we literally have it's 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 the same kind of thing that's like oh you know i wish i wish there was a terrorist attack right now so that i could so yeah. that i could take them all down myself and i would be the hero and then and then someone very attractive would want to be my sweetie baby because i just saved the world that's literally what's going through this kid's head we've got provisions and lots of beer <laughs> i feel like this is survival. almost uh I feel like this guy is kind of a dopey guy. Like, yeah. no, no, he's cool. He's, he's <laughs> cool. a little dumber than like. Uh, it kind of brings me back to the sort of like Asia Gaucho characters, or or he's kind of like, like the way he says the line, "It's just a dugout that my hey, it's just a dugout that my dad built." You know, like <laughs> that, that that phrasing has a little bit of a, a dopey, you know, uh, yeah. sort of you know cadence to it. Um, so good. <laughs> Introduce me to that big blonde. We're all looking for a big blonde, aren't we, fellas? <laughs> She's got a touch of Tuesday Weld. <laughs> it's also funny, Ian, that you initially said that like this doesn't have the horniness of maybe like uh, I Gaucho, was but mistaken. The last four songs have all like involved sexual fantasies of some kind. Yeah, he he just saved all the horniness for side B. That's a good point. Um, mu- okay, musically, this song just extremely kicks ass. Like, you know, and we we love to talk about the lyrics here, especially you know on uh, on the Don material. It's great, but just like I I cannot ever stop. Just like absolutely, like I, I was listening to this in the kitchen the other night cooking dinner. And I was like dancing with my dog, and she was like getting upset because she didn't know what was going on. It's just like it's a compulsion when this song comes up for me. It's so fuck. It this is the uh, time out of mind on this record. I hear you're mad about Brubeck. I like your eyes. I like him too. <laughs> He's an artist, a pioneer. Just imagine like a a, a freckle faced boy who's locked you <laughs> in his bomb shelter, and he's passing you like a lukewarm beer. And he's like, uh, you know, uh, I also love Brubeck. I love Dave Brubeck. Uh, I also am in love with you. <laughs> Uh, we gotta play some of that music, huh? It's getting kind of oh hot in here. <laughs> Did you think he's making fun of this kid for like the way he's trying to refer to Dave Brubeck as a a true artist? Uh, you think he's making fun of Dave Brubeck? No, not necessarily. Uh, there's also the thing about if I move to the city and learn design, or is that what he says? Yeah. Well, didn't and study didn't, like hardcore? 
hardcore jazz snobs did they look down on Brubeck as well that was my question like, yeah I don't know mm, I'm not a jazz yeah. guy like it, it, yeah. it seems like he's like sort of a like replacement level kind of like um you know uh, upper middle class basic kind of uh guy you know he's not Thelonious Monk or something um but um I, I, don't I mean, which know makes sense if he's a kid from the suburbs. And right, exactly. Like, Brubeck is probably what he would know or think of as like the peak of cosmopolitan jazz. <laughs> right. But then Donald Fagan himself, like, I think he fancied himself a jazz snob from a pretty young age. Yes. Um, which like, is probably... he was going into the city and seeing like, you know, Coltrane and, and Miles and like all the like all the greats of the era. Yeah. Um, I don't know what he like thinks of Dave Brubeck, but. There is, uh, I just <laughs> typed Dave Brubeck into YouTube just to see what's going on. And there is something, one of the first things that pops up is Buddy Rich, uh, uh, Jerry Lewis, the legendary drum battle. So I guess Dave Brubeck was involved Jerry in some Lewis. Sort of drum battle with Jerry Lewis in 1955. Which Jerry Lewis? Jerry Lewis. You're Jerry Lewis. The comedian? The comedian. As far as I can tell. The artist. Not Jerry Lee Lewis? <laughs> not, not Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, I, I, you know... When when we were f- talking earlier about like uh, oh it's weird that Fagan like got so embarrassed by this record um, that it's like oh it's revealing to, so much like really I, I'm starting to get why because uh, I think that this kid is supposed to be kind of a version of himself and uh, I think he is kind of just like airing a little bit of these really embarrassing childish fantasies. Um, the last line is extremely funny. The last few lines of this song. Um, and when I really get to know you, we'll open up the doors and climb into the dawn, confess your passion, your secret fear, prepare to meet the challenge of the new frontier. Like literally just like this, this nerd with like Barbarella on his arm. Yeah, it's literally this just goon kid who sees this big blonde at his dad's cookout and is like, it would be so sick if we went into my dad's dugout and then nuclear bombs dropped and then we could repopulate (laughs) humanity together. Forsakes the entire family, just runs into the bomb shelter with with this hot girl and closes it as his family is incinerated. So that he can uh, talk about Dave Brubeck with her. <laughs> and drink warm Budweiser's. Yeah, and then one day, perhaps when they are ready and they are truly and fully most deeply in love, he will open the the, the hatch and they will venture into the great unknown together. <laughs> she loves to limbo. That much is clear. She's got the right dynamic for the new frontier. The new, yeah, prepare to meet the challenge of the new frontier. The challenge We're all looking like, for a girl who can limbo, aren't we? Yeah. This this well, is all just like a fever dream of he sees like one like partial boob and goes into this like <laughs> epileptic fit. <laughs> But there's enough of the wise ass Fagan like tone to it that I don't. I don't, you don't feel know like if it's he's him? necessarily being vulnerable here. Right. You know what I mean? Like he's he's still, this kid. If I didn't hear that or read that thing yeah. about him being like embarrassed, I wouldn't think it was necessarily about him. But it's like uh, one of those things where by saying nothing, you would have been fine, and the fact that even said ever that or indicated embarrassment makes me think like this is all about him isn't it 
Maybe I'm wrong. No, I mean, I think he's just like, you know, he's he's confident. Like he does. What does Donald Fagan give a shit about like airing his like youthful delusions at this point when in 1982 when he's like literally the heights of pop stardom? You know, he's he has enough distance on it where he's can kind of like uh, poke fun at himself um, and uh, and maybe uh, highlight some similarities that uh, listeners can uh, respond to at least. Uh, these three listeners, or, you know, I guess I don't want to speak for you two, but uh, myself, at least, I, I definitely would have been this kid in 1958. I mean, if he was truly embarrassed, then, like, these songs would have been cut from the repertoire. I mean, it might right. have been, like, a, a fleeting feeling, you know, like like I said, um, they played a lot of these songs in the in the 90s tours, and, like, they just released a, um, a live version of the Nightfly. Like, they do the Nightfly, like, as like tour, the full as like album one, thing, right? Yeah, they do the full album. So yeah. he's fully like cool <laughs> with like <laughs> how he portrayed himself, at least now. I, I, you know, my guess is that whatever, you know, uh, hangups he was having were like separate from the actual like personal revelation itself. aspect. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I, I know that he said that, but I, I think ultimately they were like it was its own issue. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, in any case, probably my favorite song on the record. It, uh, it just is such an absolute, like, murderous kind of beat and boogie. Um, and, and also, I, I think for my money, maybe the funniest. Um, although there's a couple other contenders coming up here in a moment. I don't know. This, the whole second side of this record, I'm in, I don't know. It, it, I, I guess we just went through the first side, and the first side's also great. This record is so good. I, I love this record. Eight songs long, not a stinker in the bunch. Yeah, my personal favorite is the one after this. Hell yeah. Which is I mean, the let's song, do it. The Nightfly, which I I don't know why I love this song so much, but like I it just fills me with joy in a way that I like I honestly am just re- like I can't even speak. <laughs> I've I've gotten tears in my eyes listening to the song. I'm not tears kidding. in your I eyes. Know. I have. There's Incredible. just something about it, like when that chorus hits with the W J A Z and then Don belts out. There's something about that specific moment I find like so ecstatic. I yeah. don't know what it is. For me, it's it's a couple lines later, the end of the chorus yeah. when it's... Yeah, that's it's gorgeous. It's so good. I do, I just found this quote that just to further a point, I wanted to do an autobiographical album and I really put everything I knew into the Nightfly album. And after that, I re- wasn't really inspired to do anything. I fell into a bit of a depression for a while. I think that like a lot of artists, especially in the music business, I was young and successful and I was basically still an adolescent. I started to address some of these things with the Nightfly and I got really scared after it was done. I felt I'd exposed myself in a way that I wasn't used to doing and I kind of retreated psychologically from that. Uh, in 2006, he maintained that I haven't listened to The Nightfly since I made it. So something about this was tough for him, but on the song itself, I don't know. This, this seems like uh, it's such a joyous, like the title track is such a joyous thing. And most of the record is is pretty suffused with that kind of like, I don't know, it, it, warmth. So it's kind of surprising that that was like such a struggle after the fact. 
Yeah, and maybe that's why he retreated to kind of like, you know, with with the most of Steely Dan, you don't really get a sense of Donald Fagan as a person because all of the songs, especially in the later albums, you're like you're listening to them, but they're told from the perspective of a narrator, right? right? So it's just like, and and you never really like. I think that's actually hard for listeners today to understand about Steely Dan and like, you know, when people call them problematic or something, they think that somehow like Donald Fagan is singing about himself on Hey 19 or, um, (laughs) you know, some of the like, you know, songs on the Royal Scam or something, which um, it's not, you know, he's telling stories from the perspective of a, of a, you know, a A particular character that he wants to be and that he would like to emulate. (laughs) Yeah, but then on the Nightfly, it's like he can't hide behind Steely Dan or like the the Walt and Don like duo, which is like almost like a comedy team. Like it's right. him on the cover. It's you know, it's there is the Lester character, which is sort of an alter ego. But I, I guess yeah, I guess I can see why even that like shift in in and just sort of like I suppose that was a level of vulnerability that maybe I don't know. I guess it was. Uh, hard for him. I mean, as we go into the like the heart, the beating heart of the record here with with the title track, it is. Um, I, I I don't know. This this song is. I feel like kind of it transcends any of the sort of queasy, self uh, flagellating uh, introspection that you get on something like New Frontier, <laughs> like a song which is like kind of seems like self like like auto therapy, like he's trying to like kind of deal with these embarrassing uh, moments from his past by making songs about them. And this song, like um, sort of like more like Maxine, it's the other side of that where it's like kind of just leaning into like the, the beautiful fantasy world of a young person. And um, this is one of the best examples of that, like sweeter, more like uh, wide eyed, version of of donald that you have on the record if um maxine is kind of the wouldn't it be nice this song kind of reminds me of in my room a little bit because it's it's like paying homage to that feeling of just like it's almost like the loneliness it's it's a lonely feeling but at the same time like a wonderful feeling of just being like in a room there's no one else around to bother you but it doesn't matter because you have your jazz records and your Java and Chesterfield Kings. And you're just like, (laughs) you're just loving that, loving that thing. You know, the way he sings um, Chesterfield Kings, it sounds like a kid being like, I got cigarettes. He's like (laughs) Chesterfield Kings. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's clearly, um, you know, this could almost be like an in my room situation where he like, He's the kid, he's in his room, he's pretending to be Lester the Nightfly, hello from Baton Rouge, talking to this guy who uh, is um, uh, calling in about a race of men in the trees begging for tough legislation. Um, you know, it, uh, it, it he kind of slides back and forth uh, on the record between, like, you know, is he singing about young Don's, like, um, fascination with these things in the future, or is he actually singing about these things themselves, or, you know, is it both at the same time? Um, there's also no, no such station, no such mountain. 
Well, that was, I was just gonna say, where the what the hell is Mount Belzoni? Not real. It's in the it's in the <laughs> mind of a young boy in New Jersey. Yeah, if you just Google, that's one of those lines where it's just like, where did he come up with that? It's Mount just like Belzoni. that. Like, okay, I get you know an independent station WJZD with jazz and conversation. Like, I get that reference. It's like you know the old school DJ kind of lot. But then. He throws in this from the foot of Mount Belzoni to just completely like you don't know what that means. Like you don't know where it is. You've never heard the word Belzoni before. It's a funny word. Um, but anyway, it's really a, another just like beautiful song. Um, you know, it's got a really nice kind of groove to it. And, and there's a um, I don't know, a, a sense of like again like longing or something there's there really is like sort of a sadness i think to this whole record um that um it, that it comes through i think the more that you listen to it and even you know despite some of these silly songs um uh, i guess like in particular like the next one for instance um they they still have this like just kind of um the sorrowful feeling, especially looking back on, um, I don't know, maybe that's been magnified at this point. Cause you know, when the record comes out, you're looking back on things 30 years and now we're looking back on this record 40 years ago, looking back an additional 30 years on top of that. So it's, uh, it's sort of compound interest at this point. Um, I don't know. It, uh, I, I, like I said at the beginning of this, I, there, there's a whole alternate history where he has a massive solo career in the eighties and, you know, puts out a follow-up to this that goes head to head with born in the USA in 1984 or something. And he's like, you know, the biggest, biggest name on the planet, but obviously that's, that's not our Don. Maybe the, um, he, if I'm trying to think of like how he might be embarrassed by this song, is it just the incredible nerdiness of writing just like a six minute like homage to like a DJ? Like the fantasy here is just like how cool it is to be a DJ like in the yeah. middle of nowhere. I mean, that's, uh, a, that's like, a... like <laughs> what kind of weirdo would fantasize about that? I mean, I, I but I, I love it. I love the earnestness of it. Like I, 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 I can see where he's coming from. Like I actually relate to him on this. Totally. Just like. Yeah, it's a it's a sixty forty <laughs> album in some ways of like mostly it, mostly it isn't ironic like or maybe fifty one forty nine you know like it's like a little bit more earnest than it is uh, uh, sarcastic and that that is like kind of something that really colors the record if you like give it a close listen and and yeah. it's it's what makes it kind of sweet and really endearing because all of that uh sarcasm is in there but it, it it's no match for those those like sweet feelings yeah i mean the way you can tell how much sarcasm is on a, a song that donald sings is think about how it would sound if it were sung by someone else if it sounds completely ridiculous covered then it's very ironic. If it sounds pretty close to the same, then I feel like it's it's a little bit less. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's the, uh, the me- yeah. <laughs> Try so like imagine. Glamour Profession, if someone is singing that song very earnestly, it will sound completely absurd and ridiculous. And it's basically an uncoverable song because what makes that song work is like the tone of Donald's delivery just being like, completely ridiculous like you can't you can't imagine like uh don henley singing uh the dread moray eel 
<laughs> I mean, people have tried to cover. I don't, I mean, my opinion, I don't know. I don't think that you can cover Steely Dan very well for the most part. I they think really are kind of like, an uncoverable band, aren't they? Yeah. And, and I think yeah. it's because of what I just said. Like, I think some of their earlier ones, like Dirty Work, I oh, think yeah, you can do. Because it's, it's a little different. It's almost, you know, that was when they were more in the like songwriter for hire right. like era. Um, but as you get into the later stuff, like even like Asia, I mean, beyond the obvious complexity of playing that song, just like what makes a lot of the songs on that album and like that song work is just like the, the delivery and the tone and like to keep it like what it is. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I've seen, uh, I saw Mac DeMarco do reeling in the years one yeah. time in terms of a cover, but like that's, I think stick you know, to the early ones. If you want to cover Steely Dan, that's yeah. my advice. Cause like when you get into the later stuff, like just saying those lines <laughs> without the Fagan, like, <laughs> I don't know what you call his nasal weird sarcastic snarl or whatever, you know, it, you're, you're, it's just, the, the Jewish tone of his voice. You're dancing around. <laughs> I'm dancing around it. Yeah. Uh, He's got and, an and incredible this voice. I, I love to hear it. I really, uh, it is hard to describe his uh, per- particular. It's more about the way he enunciates than, than anything else it definitely is about yeah the enunciation is uh is uh, no one no one better I mean, i do think he pulls back a little bit on nightfly compared to gaucho like gaucho he's like full tilt like nasal to the mat like glamour yeah. profession and uh gaucho like the my song. arrival yeah gaucho yeah. the song well gaucho yeah <laughs> that that song like another one like imagine an earnest cover of the song gaucho just like uh, someone like a like acoustic coffee house yeah, don't. You're giving people bad ideas. There's going to be some sort of like <laughs> gritty DC movie that like they get some sort of like uh, you know really slow and tortuous like acoustic guitar cover of Gaucho to like play. Well, in the they background. already did that with Dirty Work and that uh, uh that. Movie. Did they do that? Yeah, they did that with Dirty Work with that uh, uh. Suicide Squad movie that flopped. Oh, there was a Dirty Work cover in that. In the trailer. Oh, come on, man. It, it wasn't was like a cover. Epic, it was a chopped and screwed yeah, it was version. Like made epic, oh my, you know? that's even worse. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll get uh, Evan's favorite uh, coverers of great uh, music. Um, my right. uh, My Chemical Romance to do a cover of. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't even know. Um, the Goodbye Look, the next song on the record. The Goodbye Look. <laughs> um, this is probably the funniest song on the record for my money. I think this this run of songs, like from Maxine to the end, is like really just uh, solid gold hits. What a good! I mean, I guess all I'm saying is that I don't really care for Green Flower Street or Ruby <laughs> Baby that much. Yeah, they're fun. You know, they're fun. They, I, but I think uh, this is a very like side A, side B kind of record. Like uh, IGY, Green Flower Street, Ruby Baby, Maxine. Like that's a that's a tight little unit that's got one kind of feeling. And then this second side, New Frontier, Night Flight, Goodbye Look, and then yeah. Walk Between the Raindrops is like a totally other, you know, totally different kind of thing, uh, which you get on a lot of Steely Dan records, to be honest. And I think I think. Uh, you know, we've talked on this podcast ad nauseum about uh, Bob's talents as a sequencer. Um, I think uh, Don and Walt, uh, but, you know, in this case, Don specifically are are just as good at, uh, you know, kind of giving each set of songs its own kind of unique suite or uh, its own unique feeling or whatever. Um, this wouldn't, Goodbye Leak would, wouldn't belong next to Greenflower Street or Ruby Baby or Maxine. It's like, it's... 
this is a, I think this is really like the closest thing to like a story song or like a kind of classic Steely Dan song on this record as far as I was I'm just concerned. thinking of this song, I think could almost be a Steely Dan. Like I think of any song on this record, I could almost see this one. You could throw it on like Royal Scam. This would be Royal Scam. Exactly. Exactly. This, cause it's like, uh, like this almost sounds like Haitian divorce or something. Um, you know, especially down to the pack, down to the, like, like, um, out of fish out of water, American taking a Caribbean vacation and having things go wrong. Basically, very similar thematic um, uh, material. Yeah, there's been talk and lately a bit of action after dark behind the big casino on the beach. <laughs> that, that passes. That passes for so, Dan. Absolutely. This, this is about uh, <laughs> some kind of um, political uh, turmoil or, or gang uh, shit going down. Uh, while this hapless goof is vacationing, to me this song—I mean, he—he's deliberately kind of obtuse about it. Like you don't know exactly what uh, political conflict this might be referring to, or when, or where. Uh, but to me, this sounds like you know some sort of like CIA spook or something down in uh, Cuba, like right around the time of uh, the a, Cuban Revolution, yeah. which Cuban obviously is the, what the the cocktail he wants poured for him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it you know it was right around the same time. You know, in the uh, late fifties, early sixties. You know, as things are uh, is this kind of directly referencing the Castro that like revolution. Like that's what I see. Like I imagine the timing this, works too. Yeah, exa- exactly. And the Cuban breeze. It almost seems too like on the nose. Too on the nose. To, yeah. Uh, yeah. T- t- this is uh, you know in Godfather <laughs> Two. You know when uh, all of the um, you know gangsters and Americans and stuff are like rushing out of the casinos and stuff as the. The Fidelist has come to power. Like this guy, this guy is one of those guys who's like crashing out of the uh, casino front doors with a you know a big bag of chips, and he gets shot down with a machine gun or something. There are two annotations, as far as I can see, on Genius for this song. One of which is uh, it says what a Cuban breeze is, which is a cocktail made from amaretto, vodka, and pineapple juice. Yeah, sounds pretty good. The next one is uh, when he says, "I know a Cuban breeze, Gretchen, Gretchen, (laughs) Gretchen." Won't you pull me perfect, a Cuban breeze, Gretchen? Perfect name. Yeah, the use of the name Gretchen plus the fact that he's referencing an obscure drink. Uh, yeah. Both, uh, once again, point this in the direction of being pretty close to what Steely Dan is your, your, your exactly. blueprint for, for a Steely Dan song. Yeah. Uh, I know a fellow with a motor launch for hire, a skinny man with two-tone shoes. That The skinny man is uh, annotated here with a picture of um, a... No, oh, I and, see it. <laughs> A man with two-tone shoes, uh, some fashion designer. I cannot tell who it is. He's just like um, a guy with like a, a Jason Mraz kind of hat on a yeah, Fashion or, Week uh, runway. Yeah, Fashion Week runway guy. And it says, the narrator had better hire this guy and get off the island immediately or he'll be executed by the rebels. <laughs> is that what the goodbye look is? Uh, is I like think so. I believe I just by rebels. Get, yeah, I'm about <laughs> to get uh, perforated. Yeah, all the Americans are gone except for two. The embassy's been hard yeah. to reach. There's been talk. They're arranging a small reception just for me. Yeah, just yeah, for exactly. me. Behind yeah, the guy, casino. This, this guy's guy toast. The goodbye De- look. <laughs> deservedly so, I would I would assume. Won't you pull me a Cuban breeze, Gretchen? Gretchen. 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 <laughs> Uh, the, musically also, this song, it's it's almost sort of a, uh, I think he mentioned it even in an interview or something, like this is him doing like a, um, 
his version of a bossa nova song basically which again was like that was happening at this time you know especially in his era like you know stan gatz kind of thing um girl from stan Eden, gatz gets whatever um <laughs> he's about to get got with a stan gat a gats yes um so he's you know he's he's coming in musically uh, as well as lyrically with this focus on the uh, on the early fifties or excuse me mid late fifties early sixties kind of stuff. Um, he's good at making like a synth music. Uh, synth marimba or something. Yeah, like that intro. Yeah, which is um, it looks yeah oh yeah Greg Fillingains, I believe is he's the only credited keyboard. So it ha- he actually played on um, like. Uh, thriller by michael jackson like those synths on on that song or him yeah he was like do do pretty well do 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 do. um, yeah uh like uh one of the big names in like session keyboard players and yeah i think all of the all of the guys on this record were part of you know the the like the guys that were brought in for all the later day Dan records who went on to, you know, rack up tons and tons of billable hours in the eighties, just, you know, coming in to be the most technically perfect, you know, synthesizer player or bass guitarist you can imagine for all these big name records and stuff. Um, and apparently it was a very frustrating experience for a lot of them. The, the, the liner notes also, uh, he, ma- he makes the last uh, thank you uh, in the thank you section. He, you know, he goes through a big, long uh, list of people, uh, um, most of whom I don't really know who they are. But uh, he, he finishes the, the thank you section. Uh, thank you to the staff and management of Soundworks and to all the musicians for their patience and enthusiasm. <laughs> Specifically, thanks to them for their patience in this absolutely insane. It took like... I think it took 10 months to track this eight-song record. A little different than uh, Bob's recording habits. Oh, it's the opposite. <laughs> this is why you only get a Don record every 10 years. Then, yeah, exactly. You know, Bob's a little more uh, prolific. A little, uh, little more. Get him, get him in, get him out. Are you going <laughs> to one of those, uh, those uh, absolutely normal shows that are coming up, Alex? Uh, it doesn't look like I am actually. I don't currently have tickets. No, uh, they're they're not even playing in the city, are they? No. Yeah, that's the thing. They're not playing in the city, so it's like you got to get out to the, you know, to the Jersey or Connecticut or wherever. Um, right. And it's expensive. I mean, I I kind of looked at the Gaucho Night show because I, that's one of the ones I still haven't seen. But um, I'm going to be out of town for that, so I don't know. Well, I, I might skip this this round, but definitely try to catch them. You know. Maybe next year. I'm sure it won't be too long before a uh, before the. I'm, yeah, I'm surprised I'm not doing nights at the Beacon. That uh, seems like if you're going to play any shows in the Northeast, uh, you know that's that's where they're going to play. Yeah, I don't know why they're not doing the Beacon. There must be some like specific reason because that's been their the you know the kind of like home turf. Like that's they've their done spot. so many. Yeah, that's their spot. So there's got to be. Yeah, maybe it was just booked up already. Yeah, yeah, D- yeah. Dylan I, rented it out for the month, even though he's not playing there. Um, yeah, except for two days, he's just like, yeah. Can, Evan no and I are going play. to uh, uh, show there for Bob in a couple months, but or I guess in one month. Next basically. month, damn, that's coming up. That's like a month and yeah, a day from it's now. like a month and a few. Yeah, it's 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 coming Jesus fast. Christ. I'm I seeing Bob Dylan three it. times next month. Oh man, it's gonna be good. Uh, well, uh, we're not here to talk about Bob, though. We do that enough. Uh, we're here to uh, talk about Donald Fagan and bring it home with Walk Between Raindrops. Not Walk Two Between or... the Raindrops. Just Walk Between Raindrops. 
Even though he said, doesn't he say walk between the raindrops? Isn't that the lyric? That's I what think, he says I in the song? He does, yeah. Yeah. Um, a very this funny is, ender favorite, to a very funny album. Favorite songs on here. I don't know about you guys. It's like I, the it's, cherry on top. Yeah, it's, it's like it the, really the cherry is, on yeah. top of what has been a very delicious Sunday. <laughs> This record is he ends, it, he ends it with a little trifle, you know, to send you out on your way. It whatever. literally is a maraschino cherry that you just pop in your mouth and yeah. just kind of yank the stem out of your mouth right there yeah. and walk out, walk out the door. More, more <laughs> like a maraschino cherry that you uh, twist in in a in a little uh, decorative knot in your in your mouth, and then you <laughs> impress the girl, uh, and then you go, "Hey, you, you like come back to my dad's bomb shelter with me, baby." Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Walk Between Raindrops I, I don't know it's, There's something really sweet About this song to me it, It's hard to put my finger on I just love the way he says uh, The big hotels The the big hotels uh, I don't know Something about that The way he reads it It's just so cute Yeah it's It's almost kind of like a Like a show tune aspect to it Or like Sort of like a variety show Kind of thing Especially with like the the backing vocals doing the oh Miami sort of thing. Yeah, um, I think it's the childish the lyric of just saying like the big hotels. The big hotels. Like that yeah. is what a kid would say. <laughs> Look how big those hotels are. Yeah, like uh, twelve stories tall. Yeah, the big hotel. Again, it's it's sort of like a movie like image or something like. Yeah, this is like what... a, a movie musical. So it's like again, it's sort of in the Greenflower Street realm of being. Uh, like a kid's idea of like adult romance. Exactly. Like the the uh, the, the the Florida the, vacation getaway. This is right. like what you do. <laughs> yeah, he's he's on a fl- Florida vacation with his like elderly parents, and he and he spots another pretty blonde, and he has the, another uh, <laughs> the big flight another of big fancy. Blonde. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, uh, "What if I was here on my own, and I had a." a cool suit and we we could walk and it would be raining, but we wouldn't get wet and we would go and, and <laughs> <laughs> we'll walk between the room. We'll never, we'll, we'll get back to your hotel room. We'll, we'll, we'll be completely dry. Won't, won't have a single drop of water on us. Yeah. Apparently this song has its roots in a Jewish folk tale of some sort. Evan, can you fill us in on uh, any of that? Are you kidding? No, this sounds like a bit, but it. This is the song is <laughs> the, the last song. Walk between raindrops has origins in a Jewish folktale. It was the last song to be recorded and took form almost quote almost as an afterthought, according to some biographer. Well, in in Jewish in, in Jewish tradition, um, if you if you got your clothes wet from the rain, um, it, you know they didn't last long, so you'd have to buy more. So so if the man who could walk between <laughs> the raindrops and not have to put, he could he could save money. <laughs> uh, must yeah that, that that's it thank you yeah I'm curious um, though what the act if yeah who knows where where'd you read that you sure that's not a joke like a Catskills joke about I, uh, Miami or something it, honestly it might be which maybe that's the Jewish folktale is you know the the yeah. hack comedian doing uh 15 minutes of bad comedy up um at the the dirty dancing resort. Uh, no, but apparently that's that's what it uh, it quotes on on uh, Wikipedia. So maybe uh, if anyone if anyone out there uh, has uh, uh, knowledge of 
Jewish folktale, uh, please fill us in on what the hell hanging out in Florida and uh, looking at the big hotels has to do with uh, Jewish history. We, we do have this line where he says, in my dreams, I can hear the sound of thunder. I can see the causeway by the big hotels, which kind of, uh, it does sort of imply that the whole thing is a, a fantasy. Well, maybe or, or, or Or something. I mean the it might as well be, but it's a it's a a boy can dream. If I could sum up this album in one sentence, you know, that's what it is. A boy can dream. You got you got a star rating for us, Alex. I'm guessing I know the answer here once again. But out of three, uh, I'm gonna have to go with uh, three. Well said. I'm there with you. It's my favorite of any of the uh, solo albums, including so including the four Donald um, and the two Walter. The Nightfly is the the clear winner for me. The number one. Where, where how does this stack up against uh, some of the uh, the the canonical classics against uh, the Gauchos, the Asias, the Royal Scams for you? I uh, it's hard to compare it to those. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if I want to like go there. That's fair. Yeah, that's um, that's, that's tough. I, I probably like it better than the the earlier ones, just right. as a as a record. Just like the whole, like I reach for this more than I reach for like Pretzel Logic or Camp by Three. I'll just I don't know. Maybe it's just the the cover that beckons to me. But I, I don't know if I want to put it up against the uh, you know the um, the later era, the big boys. Exactly. Yeah, yep. I still got to get. I I I have not done. A dive on the on the Walter solo records. I gotta I gotta spend some time with those. They're, they're like not they came out in like the mid nineties, right? Or at least the first one did. Yeah, there's one from ninety three. Yeah, ninety. It came out so when they reunited. The main reason that Steely Dan started touring again in uh, nineteen ninety three was because they each put out solo records that year. Right. So they're like, okay, we'll go out on tour together as steely dan and we can sort of promote like our solo material but we'll mostly play steely dan material because that's what the fans want to hear and we'll throw in a few so if you look at the the set lists from the uh like the 93 and the 94 tour it's like 75 percent dan or yeah 75 percent dan but then you'll there's always like like igy green flower street um i think those are the two let me see yeah, those might be the only two that they really did. And then they would do a few off of um, 11 Tracks of Wax. I'm, I am 11 Tracks really of do- Wax, such a good, it's, such a good and it, album. And it's not 11 tracks, it's 12. So, of course. Uh, I mean, some people like, I've, like, I haven't fully dug into them. I They're interesting to listen to, like, in the context of the entire thing, like the entire catalog. The saga. Yeah, to sort of see where Walter, like, like how he kind of fits in. Like, he, you definitely get a better sense of, like, how he contributed to the Steely Dan sensibility. Like, right. where the kind of split is. Um, but there are, I mean, there are people who prefer the Walter solo records to the to the Donald one. So, um, they're, like, they're a lot bluesier. And, like, his voice is very different than Donald. So oh, you like, got my attention the blues <laughs> the yeah evan looks up at the the first notice of the b word well yeah knock yourself out i'm i'm 
I, I don't, I don't, I mean, of all the, like, I know all of the Donald stuff a lot better than I haven't listened that much. And then the Walt stuff. Yeah. Circus money. I've only spun like one. There's one song on circus money. I think is like really funny. I don't know if it's intentional or not. It's called downtown cannon. Um, but it, it has a line where like, he literally says like cocaine nights and Chiba Chiba dreams (laughs) and sings it like really like, like swoon swooning almost it's it's an odd like yeah they They really listen to it i mean they really they really did it with the album titles and song titles (laughs) see that's Uh, that's the first time i'm hearing that album title and i i love that that uh that's what it's called circus money well the the artwork is also just like completely bewildered i mean look at it if you guys i just i just pulled it up it's an eye opener what is that like a mask of some sort <laughs> with like a feather on it? Circus yeah. money. What, what in the hell? <laughs> this looks like a. This looks like it like a like an ad for like Quake, like on the N sixty four or like is... Saw or like this is some sort of like torture mask or something that uh, Jigsaw would uh, bolt on to one of his unwitting uh, victims. I have to say that this looks like one of those like deep dream images. Like you just tell an AI a couple of things and it, it comes up with some crazy. Right. Yeah. I, you I kind actually of can't algorithmically tell generated album cover. It seems yeah, and you kind of can't tell what anything in it is. 11 tracks of whack. It's a very 1994 looking yeah. album cover, even down to the font. I feel like I've seen that one before. Oh man, my lord! Seeing something called Circus Money Outtakes, like a fan made <laughs> one with like three guys in World War One gas masks. Oh my gosh! Incredible. A picture of yeah, wow, of Walter holding a naked lunch. Uh, this might be fake. Um, Wow, I've got to get into like googling more about uh, Walter Becker. I think we just got to get into like the Steely Dan uh, fan bootlegs, the way that we've gotten into the Bob ones, because yeah. that that community sound, it must be just as insane, if not more insane, than the Bob. But wasn't there like a 1996 show that you found recently, Alex, that you were posting about that like was just like an absolutely like dream yeah. set list or something? Yeah, I've been getting it like since I started the account. I've been exploring a little bit the um, like the live material because before that, I you know, it's not. There are other bands where like the live like bootleg culture is a lot like more fervent than than you get with Dan, which is definitely like even the hardcore fans are like, no, the studio albums that's where it's at, and for you know the like they're known much more for like obviously their studio perfection um but you know yeah there was that some of the 90s shows i think are really like they're really beautifully like it's there's some really crisp soundboard recordings of of them and you know like there's boot really good bootleg of um this 96 show that there was also like a, a pro shot video of um that was released as like a bootleg dvd from uh i think it was in manassas um manassas and it's Fantastic. yeah i mean the set the set list a lot of the songs they played on it they they went they went for so many deep cuts on that particular tour like they played like east st louis Tootaloo, and incredible they played glamour profession they played everyone's gone to them like they went for all the fan favorites all on the that one faves. tour yeah so 
like and also the guitarist on that tour is this guy wayne krantz who's like a very different style of guitar than like what you usually think of as a more he's not really smooth he's more like like he's a hardcore like rock like a more rocking he's a, he's a shredder like interesting he's, and his shredding style on some of the classic dan songs provide a kind of like interesting counterpoint to like like it's nice to have those as like an interesting window into like, right, like the, a, a different kind of texture for this music that you're yeah, so familiar like, with yeah like i was listening to that 96 show and um it ends with mild school and like he goes into this solo on the like on an extended outro of mild school and he's just like i mean he's just wailing it's, hell yeah and like i've never heard mild school played like that like and it like it sounds insane yeah my old um, school like of all the songs like that's like one yeah. of the smoothest and just like catchiest most sing-alongable songs in the entire discography especially with that chorus that sounds that sounds fuck I, I gotta watch this yeah i feel like i don't i wonder what don and walt like i'd love to just ask or find out what donald now thinks about like what wayne krantz the guitar player on that because he's like shredding like a maniac which is probably wayne not their preferred krantz. yeah there he is Wayne Krantz. I, I wanted to add that I give this record three stars. As well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Evan. <laughs> There's uh, the the much coveted uh, triple three star rating. So, Don, if you're out there listening, uh, just know that we're we're big fans and you would be welcome anytime, Th- especially if you want to come and, and talk. Uh, three stars and one pack of Chesterfield Kings. Perfect. Uh, if you want, Don, if you're out there, if you want to come on and talk uh, the anxiety of Zimfluence, um, yeah, <laughs> or, or if you just want to send us whatever that is, uh, we we are your audience. We would do anything to read it and talk to you about it. Thank you. Uh, all right. Well, I think we'll uh, I think we'll have to leave. Everything must go for another time because we went considerably longer on oh. this eight song album than I anticipated. Hope to but, have you back some someday. Uh, not too long from now to, to do that one because that would be a, a blast. I ended up listening to it a lot because I thought we might end up getting. <laughs> yeah, to I was it. excited to talk about it, but uh, you know, we'll 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 uh, we'll keep one in the chamber for that. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's what's that one song on it? Um, I'll, I'll just say uh, as a teaser for when we get to that that um, slang of ages underrated. <laughs> well, that's the one. Song. That's the Walter song, right? That's the Walt song exactly. It's, and, it's such a good song. And honestly, so I think, Evan, I think you have a little homework, which is to listen to the two Walter songs, or the, sorry, the two Walter albums. The albums, because, yes. I, I, if I like, I, I, you're saying if you like yeah. Slang of Age. <laughs> Wait till you hear 11 tracks of whack. I mean, <laughs> and I, I actually, I mean, I need to listen to the Walter albums more because I haven't dug into them as much as, as much as I should have. But um, I do think that, Everything Must Go has a lot of Walter songwriting right. influence, even on the songs that Donald sings, which are all of them except for like Things I Miss the Most mm. <laughs> uh, has like such a Walter, like just the lyrics of that are, are very much in tune with like the songs on um, 11 Tracks of Whack. The company's okay, chair. I got to I got to check the out 11 TT. Tracks of Whack. Let's listen to Downtown Canon off of Circus Money. Is it one of the lines? It's a, it's a, uh, it's a the nice hoot. copper pan. 
That's funny. Nice copper pan. Yeah, you got to have a nice <laughs> set of cookware. Come on. I just like, love the idea that he lost that in the divorce. Yeah, he lost a lot. He lost the house on the coast and on the vin. You know, he had a tough time. All the right, Audi gotta- TT. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The house, the best part is the house on the vineyard, followed immediately by the house on the Gulf Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Two houses. Uh, uh, all right. Well, we got to save that for next time. Alex, thanks yeah. so much for joining us. Uh, Thank where you very much. Uh, where can the folks online find you if they haven't already? Oh yeah. Uh, well, thanks for having me again. This was really fun. And uh, yeah, at Bad Dan Takes on Twitter. There you go. The source of uh, really, really kind of the the ringleader of Steely Dan Twitter, as far as uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, although maybe I'm missing some more uh, esoteric accounts out there. I'm sure I am. Uh, until, until next time, this is uh, Joker Dawn. i